People leadership is not the most difficult thing you're doing every day, you're doing it wrong. What is very interesting with universities is what you're learning not in the classroom. Feedback is the killer app for learning. I have never learned more than I have from people I trust around me, giving me their perspectives. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Megaverse, our awesome sponsors. More about them later. Now, if you're not subscribing to this channel right now, if you could do me a favor and subscribe, you've got no idea how pleased I would be. It, whatever channel that may be, it might be on YouTube where you're watching me, it might be you listening to me right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever it is. Please, please, please please subscribe, give us some feedback, let us know what you like about the show. It means the world to me if you do that. And I promise you, the more consumers we get of this content, the better guests I can bring to you. That's my small request. Okay, on to the podcast. Today's guest is a specialist in understanding learning within businesses. So many companies don't take learning seriously. And proof of that is one in four employees here in the UAE leave their employer every single year. So 25% of the workforce is changing. Nine times out of 10 is because the employee doesn't feel like they belong, they don't feel fulfilled, they don't feel part of something, they don't feel engaged, and they don't feel listened to. How do you, within your businesses, go about developing your employees? And if you're an employee yourself, how does your employer go about developing you? Joe Carney is here, Chief Learning Officer of a number of multinational organizations, and she's going to give us her expertise and talk to us about the things that businesses do well, businesses do badly, and what your employer or your employee can do to improve their journey with your organization and also make sure they get fulfilling, exciting, and career development opportunities within the organization. Let's cue the music to Joe Carney. Megaverse, the digital frontier of tomorrow. Megaverse stands at the cutting edge intersection of technology and imagination. It's a virtual realm where the limitless expanse of the digital universe unfolds, offering users unparalleled experiences and interactions. With its advanced metaverse platform, users can craft unique avatars, forge connections, and even establish their own digital estates. It's more than just virtual reality. Megaverse is an expansive digital civilization teeming with opportunities for both individuals and brands. From immersive concerts to revolutionary retail experiences, Megaverse is redefining the way we engage with the digital world. As we stand on the brink of a new era where the lines between our physical reality and the digital realm blur, Megaverse is poised to lead the charge in this brave new world. Dive in and discover a universe without bounds. This really is the future. Well, Joe, thank you for joining us today on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and sit down with us and talk all things leadership, people, personnel, love, passion and happiness. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me here and I can't wait. Okay, so we have lots of guests on the show over the years, okay? No one with the specific expertise that you have. So please forgive me if I drill into some of your knowledge and experience and get your points of view on many mm -hmm. issues. But for the benefit of everybody in the US, in the UK, and here in the UAE that are, con are consuming this content right now, give us a little bit of your background. I think one of the themes of my life is having people that were lucky enough to believe in me. 
I had access to incredible education and incredible people that, that believed in me. Even though as I went through school and uni, I never was really sure on what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I still, it's something I think about today. What do I want to be when I grow up? I always gravitated towards a path of learning. And that was, I think, what centered me for, 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 for my life. And definitely as a child in, you know, sometimes um, learning always kind of centered me. When I left, uh, university again I wasn't sure what I should do or who I was meant to be um, but started lecturing and teaching and got a real joy out of it but felt that I wasn't getting the the feedback loop was quite limited and went really into consulting because I think I heard it once and thought that'll give me a few weeks to figure out a few months or years to figure out what I what again I want to do and I just got the opportunity from there to work with people. And I slowly started to realize I was just fascinated with people and trying to repay the goodness and kindness people had put in me. And that's been what's guided me throughout my career. So I've had the opportunity to work with really some of the best leaders and learners from Ireland to Singapore to Australia to Silicon Valley um, to Saudi Arabia and now uh, to to Dubai. So. That's uh, that's as far as my story has gotten to, to it's, now. It's interesting you talk about this because you know I, I'm my my daughters are the first kids in any generation of my family to go to university, mm-hmm. and that was something that was really important to me many years ago when I spent all the money on the private schools and all that that went with it. <laughs> my eldest went to university for four years, and she came out and as she walked off the stage up to see me to give me her. Certificate scroll, whatever parts one. There you go. Okay, she handed it to me. She goes, "Can I go to work now?" Wow. Whereas my other daughter, uh, and she's not academically bright. My other daughter is academically very switched on, and has gone through university and you know walk in the park for her nice and easily. But she hasn't stepped into this finding out what she really wants to be. So it's interesting that you're there. Mm. I have this kind of issue with my own background and how learning and development works. And I think that, you know, I'm 53 years old, so I'm much older than you. And so when I was when I was at school all those years ago, I found everything. Mm. I, I got one O level. I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do A levels because I was too thick, I was told. I couldn't go to well, college. You know. good these days. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, so I'm going to leverage a little bit yeah. of that hopefully in this conversation. <laughs> but back then, you know, you'll never come to anything. Nothing's going to happen that's going to be good for you. Whatever you want to achieve in your career, it's not going to happen because you didn't get a degree and, you know, you weren't intelligent enough at school or you didn't try hard enough at school, I think was what was said to me. Uh, however, I kind of saw myself as a scrapper. You know, somebody that went out there and, and you know, battled against the tide and tried to make something of myself along the way. I, I, I question university nowadays. And the reason I question it is that I've just paid for two daughters to go through university. And I was kind of hoping it was a nine to five thing, five days a week. And I found out that it was many years of a kind of nine to five, maybe one day a week or, or maybe two days if you're lucky. Mm. What, what are your thoughts on how, how that, 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 that tertiary education system works and, and how good it is and what it needs to do to improve? Yeah, I think it's, a good, it's an interesting point. Um, many years ago, People far brighter than me, like like Cardinal Newman and real um, educators, I think had great concepts around university being a place of community. And I think some L&D professionals or educators may look and say, that's not the purpose of a university. But I'd argue it is. 
We learn best in communities through social learning, through peer exchanges. And I think what is very interesting with universities is what you're learning not in the classroom. What you're learning in those times of meeting people that are not from the same background as you, how you're bringing diversity of thought forward in your life. That's how we cultivate, I think, learners and future leaders. I think what university instills in people, which is incredibly important, is discipline. And I think sometimes we lose sight of how important in the workplace uh, rigor and structure is. Mm. And you know, it's like that old line that the difference between an army and a mob is rigor. And I think that's what university gives individuals really, really well. But it's really those social experiences that I think that I look back have crafted who I want to be and and how I want to go forward. And it's more of a holistic experience than I think um, what happens in the lecture room. Interesting point. Mm. So somebody said to me, most people don't look at what you studied at university. Mm. Uh, So when your CV goes across the table many years down the road, it's like, yes, you've got a degree. Yes, you've got a first, but what university is kind of important, but what Mm. you actually studied wasn't so much. And and this guy I was chatting to, who's, who's well known here in Dubai, I'm like, an old wise man, let's call it that without putting his name on it. He said, what university means to me is that somebody has demonstrated the ability to learn. Mm. And that's what I'm interested in. People have got the ability to learn because some people don't. Mm. But what he, what he also said to me is that when, when, when people go to university, it's alumni. So you say community. Mm. The alumni is really good for mm. your future. Mm. My kids went to university in COVID. And so... They, they weren't in for most of their time. Mm. So they don't really know so many people they were at uni with. And because he said that was a really important thing, it was really disappointing for me that they didn't get one of those things, community, alumni, this group of people who they've connected with for long-term benefits in many different ways. Yeah. When we look at the workplace, workplace learning for me is a much better place to learn because of the way I learn, not because of any other reason. I need you to show me, I need to feel it, I need to experience it, I need to kind of like maneuver around it for it to go into my brain mm. rather than yeah. be sat in a lecture room. And so companies that, that that make a big effort to really take learning seriously and commitment to the development of their employees are the companies that I love. Yeah. What, does, what does that mean to you with what you do now, but over the years along the way, have you got experiences where companies really invest in you developing and growing in the way you wanted to? Yeah, I am. Um, I feel very grateful, very lucky in this regard that I was exposed to great learning, but not in the traditional way. So people often talk about the 70-20-10 model of, you know, 70% of learning, um, you know, happening through experience and, and 10% of learning happening in a classroom. I actually think we're looking at more 90% of learning happening outside the classroom. And where you see people thrive and people learn is really where they're doing things like job shadowing. People are exposing them to work that maybe is outside of their scope, outside of their level, where they're getting feedback fast and regularly, where they're encouraged to ask for it, where they have things like challenger safety and they can raise questions. Um, This is where the real learning happens and this is why leadership is critical because you don't as a leader get to say my team's learning happens in that little box in that room and then they come back and they need to do their job it's your duty 
to pay your learning forward. And it's your duty to continuously upskill those um, in your jurisdiction. When you, when you see companies that, 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 that commit to learning, you see a completely different culture within a business. Mm. You know, there's, there's, there's many people that I know that have gone to work in various companies here in the UAE and they're like, they don't teach me anything. It's kind of like sink or swim type of stuff. Mm. And, I, and I think to myself, what's the upside for an employer to do that? Where's, where's the upside of the sink or swim? And I'm, I'm yet to find it. Mm. I, I would challenge that. I think sometimes I've had the most edifying, learnful experiences of my life when I've been put into those sink or swim situations. And I've been put into them regularly. Okay. Um, when uh, as a consultant, you're sold on to a project, you know, many years ago, and you're like, oh, I'm now an op model specialist. Interesting. Oh, no, turns out I'm an org design specialist. No, now I specialize in Oracle LMSs. And having to, there is no couch to land on. It's a hard floor. And you're there having to teach yourself. You're there having to quickly adapt to get something suitable for, for the client. And of course, everybody wants to be given a good induction, a good onboarding. But it's in those tough times that I think I would look back and reflect and say, that's when I've learned the most because I relied on myself. And I think that's a big part missing today in, in learning and development is accountability. You own your learning. I really think we need to stop waiting for organizations to hand us a menu card but really just to go up and you know order off the counter ourselves. You really have to be very ruthless about owning your own learning and realizing it's the, the best learning does not happen in the classroom. My daughter's in real estate here in Dubai. She's in a highly competitive environment with mm. lots of people and I've got some feedback. I haven't even got it, it's on my phone. <laughs> Basically from her boss saying, Spence, I just wanted to share some information with you. I'm really, really impressed with how Taylor's progressing. Um, she's done incredibly well over the last uh, few weeks of joining us. What sticks out more than anything else though is her discipline and work ethic. Mm. She's absolutely dedicated to this and she's, she's, she's just relentless. And mm. these are such important characteristics for the role that she has and I just want you to know that we're really pleased with her and we have high hopes for her mm. and obviously as a dad I'm really proud of that but that's that to kind of like get in get stuck in crack on make it happen when employers see people yeah. behave like that yeah that there's a hunger and a desire okay to want to to, to do well and deliver well and and, and grow mm. within the business they're they're almost you know that that utopia that we look for within yeah. anybody that works in our organization 100 is in in your experience is that something that you see constantly or is that something that you see less and less nowadays what do you see I see a mix, if I'm honest with you. And I completely agree, by the way, that is the first person I'm hiring. If that person is gonna get the job done, if they're not going to say to me, I just operate within the little box I was hired for, but they're willing to adapt, pivot on a dime. They're willing to say, I'm accountable for this end to end. So I look at the typos, I look at the vendor relationships. I'm just making sure I get the full job done. They're the people that I'm hiring. And I am, I think we talk a lot about intergenerational differences and we talk about different generations in the workplace, how they respond, snowflakes. But honestly, in my experience, a lot depends on people's background. A lot depends on their ambition, regardless of generation. And it's actually one of the first questions I will ask in an interview. 
So if I'm hiring someone, normally I have wonderful people around me pre-screening them. So when they get to me, I'm like, I know you know learning and leadership, okay? I know that they've screened that. What I want to know is if things change, if the heat comes on, are you able to manage? What do you do when things change? What do you do when there's no structure and you have to make black and white out of the gray? How do you how do you work? How do you operate then? And they're the people that I want in my team. So I completely I can see why you got this feedback about your about your daughter. It's exactly what would matter to me. The, is is that people that are able to find calm in the chaos? Yeah, I think find project calm in the chaos. I think is 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 important, especially mm. as a leader to provide that um, clarity, stability, inspiration for your people. It's really never been more important than now. I think we're all hardwired for things like um, certainty and clarity. And we're going kind of globally from crisis to crisis. And we didn't have the certainty that we craved in COVID. You know, since then, we are seeing kind of war, recession, economic crisis. People don't have the types of certainty that they relied on. So they're really now demanding more of that in the workplace. And where I'm seeing people that can bring that at any level, that, okay, let's try and get all the muddly wires and try and create something out of this. They're the people that are really thriving in this uh, very um, volatile environment that we're in right now. We saw on the news we work recently going into bankruptcy just uh, chapter 11 that was just announced a couple of days ago we've obviously got what's going on in uh, israel and uh, palestine at the moment and the terrible atrocities taking place there it seems to be we always go from one aspect of chaos to another there always seems to be for me it just feels like there's always uncertainty but you're essentially stressing that the people that can thrive in that uncertainty mm. that are able to do that. That's like the people in the military, aren't they? You know, when they're when they're at war and the the bomb bombs are raining in, that they're able to keep their troops together, keep themselves mm. organised, put the plan out, and make sure that everyone executes the plan, you know, no matter what's being thrown in their way. Mm. Yeah. Gosh, you know, those types of people sound fantastic. <laughs> how do we how do we find those types of people? I mean. Uh, Surely they're, are they needle in a haystack characters, do you think, from your own experience? Or do you think it's easy to find someone with the attributes and then you can teach them what they need to, to know so that they can cope with that type of stuff? Mm. Look, it, they aren't everywhere. And I think you can test for it quite well. I mean, there are some advanced kind of AI and analytics games mm -hmm. that you can get that allow us to understand the potential and propensity of someone to do that. I think asking people for examples of where they've done it, and it never needs to be, oh, when I was working at this really, you know, highfalutin job, but where did you do it in university? Tell me about where you did it growing up in a, in a, in a it might've been an after school community that you were part of. Um, and I think you can assess learnability from people as well. You can understand how committed our pe people are to learning. So even if they don't fully understand the power that they have to thrive in times of constant change, if you can assess them for learnability and will to get there, um, I think you can be successful. Often in learning, we talk about the trifecta of will, skill, hill. Mm -hmm. And if that hill is within the person and they don't think that they need to thrive and change or they don't want to, 
then um, they're probably not the, the the right individual for a very change kind of forward situation that, that most businesses really are going through right now. Tell me more about that trifecta for the benefit of our audience here today. Mm. Explain Explain how that works. Yeah. I think it's a useful framework for thinking about learning within organizations. Um, so it's skill, will, hill. And it's interesting to reflect upon because you can partner with people to give them the skills. But if there's hills, a bad system will be a good person any day of the week. So if you're not setting up your technological infrastructure, if you're not enabling your people to work together to partner well, if you're blocking them with a bad leader, that hill will block the skill from from shining through. And the other thing that is so critical is that will, is that desire to continuously learn. Because as we've said, it's not about that 5% in the classroom, but it's about that will to take the learning out of any situation that they're in, good or bad. And... If those three aren't in harmony in organizations, you'll see good people leave and you'll see people not thrive where they could do. What's the number one reason that people leave companies in your experience? It's probably poor leadership. Yeah, I think people leave people. It's okay. So you know that and I know that. And I, as you've said that, I'm sure that most people watching or listening to this right now is like, yeah, I know that. I know, yeah, that's mm. fair. So it's kind of like, a common answer mm. and we all agree on it mm. do you think companies or company owners or the leaders of those businesses care enough about that problem to fix it or do you think that a lot of the time they brush it under the carpet and they try and find another reason other than poor leadership i think it's probably a combination of both i think um i think good companies try and make sure that when people go into leadership or management positions, that's not when they start getting the training to do it, but you're actually, you're incubating that mindset of people, of leading others before they even get to the position. So you're de-risking it. Um, and you probably get the other side of it as well, where companies don't invest in it because they see learning as an overhead and a cost as opposed to an investment. And then it's very easy to blame economic conditions or the socioeconomic climate when really um, I have seen companies operate under very difficult con conditions, but because they have had leaders that um, give their employees very bespoke, personalized, leadership relationships have kept them and they thrive i remember my first ever leader but i kind of think leaders used to be like this kind of colonel custer type thing when i was younger but my, my this this great leader that i have he taught he taught me how to sell and he we would have training at six fifteen in the morning in the company and we'd get to office early yeah. for this training and uh, and we had a name for it, and we were there were sixteen of us, and we were all these trainees, and it was called the Early Bastard Club because <laughs> 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 we were like, again. If you didn't get in at six thirty, then they would lock the doors and mm -hmm. say training has. Yeah. And bear in mind, this is the late eighties. Yeah. <clears throat> but I loved it. Mm. You know, I loved it because we had two hours of training every morning before the office started, and that training, yeah. you know, it was practical training, which meant privilege. I could, I, mm. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yeah. And David Schillingers, who who taught me. Um, was the guy that never raised his voice at me. 
And he was always enthusiastic. He never used the stick. He might mm. tease me from time to time, but he never used the stick. And he, he always celebrated every tiny little win that I had, he celebrated. Mm. And he made, me, he made me feel really where I belonged, mm. and made me yeah. feel valued, that I cared. It made me feel that, that, that he, he, he took responsibility for my future. And I bear in mind, I'm like 18 years old, 19 mm. years old. Mm. And but you've never forgot his name. Not only that, Somebody contacted me some years ago here in the UAE and said to me, would you come in and do some sales training for the company? I was like, yeah, I'd love, love to. Um, and it's a, a big company here. Mm. I met the CEO of that company and he said to me, I have a friend. I said, where did you get my details from? He said, I have a friend in the UK who recommends you really highly. Oh and I said, goodness. I said, what's his name? He said, his name is David Schillingus. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've, wow. not, I've not spoken to the guy since 1990. That is wild. And part of my brain's like, that's just five, six, seven. Oh my goodness, no. Yeah. It's thirty three years ago. So a few years ago, he he I reached out to him on LinkedIn and said, David, you've I found you on LinkedIn. I want you to know what an impact you had on my life. I can't thank you enough. Yeah. You know, it, it was an emotional thing for me to reach out to him. Not thinking he'd respond, and he responded, Spence, I've been following you for the last 30 <laughs> oh my years. Goodness. I'm so proud of you. That is the nicest story. I sobbed my face of course. Off for the rest of the day. Yeah. And um, then when I was in London next, we met, and he gave me this big bear hug. And uh, That's did. how powerful good leadership is. Oh. It brings you to tears. He said to me, you, hmm. he said, you always had it. I knew you have it. He goes, that's why I watched you. And, <laughs> and, and, and I have so much, so much debt to I owe him. I love that story. <laughs> mm. I know, I know I've told that story before a few times over the last couple of years. And when I think about what I was actually taught, so that was the emotional, mm. lovely stuff about, yeah. you know, David, you know, all, all of the warmth came back of both of us then. Mm -hmm. But I was in sales, and this was back in the days before we had computers on our desks. You know, we had a card box, and you know, it was it was old school. Mm. I worked in the city of London. My my patch, which was EC three one postcode, and I was selling office equipment. And he taught me to understand how important rejection was in mm. sales. That you need more rejection than you need acceptance. Mm. And so, if you can get yourself conditioned to understand that, that work well. And so, I said this for the benefit of you. Day one, he said to me, "Go and get me a hundred people to say no to you." And I went at the end of the day thinking, I don't know. And I bear in mind, I'm a kid. I don't know much. Yeah. So I went and got 100 people to say no to me. At the end of the day, he gave me a high five, gave me a hug. He said, great job. See you tomorrow. And I went home and I said to my mum and my dad, you told me to get 100 people to say no. My mum's like, you're in sales and you got no's. And she's like, that's mad. What kind of a child are you? Yeah. And then next day, he said to me, get me another 100 no's. And so at the end of that day, I went to him. He said, brilliant. Gave me two high fives. Well done. Awesome job. Really impressed. And so I was like, okay. And then the next day he said to me, do me a favor, get me 99 no's today, please. I just want one yes, get me 99 no's. And obviously he was teaching me to understand mm. the, how important rejection was. And so it went from 99 and I got, I got the one yes and the 99 no's. And he said, t t tell me, I said, shall I tell you about the yes? He said, I don't care about the yes, tell me about the no's. Wow. And then the, the next week, the next week it was the ninety-eight and two, and then it was ninety, you know, seven and so on and forth until until it, he said, till we got to a point. He said, when you've got ninety-nine and one, okay, that's a hundred to one. Okay, you've got ninety-nine to two. It's done ninety-eight to two. That's fifty to one. Mm. He said, when you got um, ninety-six to four, that's twenty-five to one. Yeah. And so he was teaching me the, the, these these odds. But what he was teaching me was was something that was probably the, the most important tool that I learned in sales that most people in sales over the years have struggled with, rejection. Mm. And I, because I, I was taught to understand the importance of rejection. And that for me, from that one man taking that time 
and taking and paying attention to mm. me was so fundamental. And I think we all, we've all got a story in there, haven't we, of a great mm. leader, someone that had an impact on us. Tell me your one. Yeah. Well, I have to say, in reflection of this uh, individual, is incredibly prescient because it seems like even before psychological safety was in the literature, that's what he was giving you. He was giving you that ability to fail and to surface failure because it's a far better teacher than success ever is. So... Um, I'm like, does he, is he looking for a job? <laughs> <laughs> He's retired now. Um, <coughs> but, um, goodness, I... Um, is he looking for a job? I know. It's <laughs> so funny you say that. <laughs> Always on the lookout. Um, We're uh, recruiting through the Spencer Lodge podcast yeah. today. We did Joe's <laughs> recruitment campaign. <laughs> Hiring execs. Um, yeah. Um, I've just had so many good leaders that I work with now and that I've worked with through through all my my career. Um, I can think back to one when I was much uh, younger and I was working for a large pharma client that was in a turnaround phase. And I was in there um, looking at um, regenerating some human capital practices and uh, was working with a, a partner from a consultancy I was with at the time. And there were two things that, that will I will never forget with this individual. He's called Rob. I'm going to call him out so I can so I can message him. <laughs> he could go from street to sky in seconds, and that has always impressed me as a skill set. Meaning, he could think about long term strategy to think about how this farmer client could operate in a completely different way, but yet he could tell you the number of a change request off by heart for a technical implementation on a system. He could go between both. And what I loved about that is that you knew working with him, he was in the trenches beside you. He, you knew he had your back. You knew if you were trying to figure out a really small problem, he'd solve it. But at the same time, he could inspire you like no one else because he understand how everything worked together. And to be able to do that backwards and forwards was, to me, um, an incredible skill set. And he taught me something that I um, have applied throughout my career and has never let me down which is leaders are made not walking on the backs of other people, but standing on their shoulders. And when you find good people, and it doesn't matter if they're leaders, if they're peers, if they're more junior to you, bring them into your community because there is a contagion effect to that. And leadership multiplies. And that's what I still do today. I'm honing my radar as best as I can to find good people and I'm, really tying myself to them and learning from them. And that has been, I think, how I've gotten to um, try to continue to work on my leadership practice. And are you still in touch with Rob? Not really, but now I'm thinking I'm going to message him. Yeah, I'm going to message him. This is the message that, that I think would be the most amazing message in that, as an, this is an example, would be, and however you did that, whichever format you used. Rob is you, now famous. <laughs> I paid him yeah, back. <laughs> hey, but you know, there's, there's something in this. Hmm. Rob, I was on a podcast the other day and I was asked about leadership. Okay. And you always come to my mind as the most profound leader that I ever worked for. Mm-hmm. Nothing more. Just wanted you to know that. Yeah. You I'm, won't, you make someone's year. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to send it to him. And I, do you know what? I'm nearly in tears now. And that's what happens with good leadership. It's that emotive. It can bring you to tears. But I am, I'm going to do that 100%. Brings you to tears. Mm. It's like we think about that relationship. And so that, that then kind of like pours into the next part because it's like wellness. Mm. It's like, when you feel you belong. Yeah, or belonging is huge. 
it, and, and it's so, you know, I, uh, it's just not talked about enough. It's mm. like, do where do I belong? And this whole COVID thing, and you know, for me, I, I'm, I, and, I'll, and I'll constantly say I'm old school. I don't get this working from home thing. I don't get it because I don't like to be on my own. Mm. I got my energy from being around yeah. people like you. So I want to be as, around as many of you as I possibly can be mm. because that, 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 that fires me up even more. You know, you say, go and sit in the corner and work on a project on your own. I'm the guy that's like, like at school, mm. looking out the window, you know. It's like, I need, I need, to, I need, to, I need to collaborate on that. Mm. I need to, let's, let's do the bit I can do and you do the bit you could do, but let's do it sat next to each other so that we're a team. And so that, that sense of belonging, mm. how, do you, how do you create that? How do you create that? Yeah. Um, in, in, I would say, quite bespoke ways that are very individual to the people that you work with because you have to respect that we're all so varied and different as humans um i think what i'm trying to work on is 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 challenger safety is one thing within the team um giving people a, a safe space to speak up when they see something that they don't think is working and that to me is a route to belonging because if someone feels that they're heard and that they're seen it's incredible how those moments of exchange vulnerability really create bonds and really create belonging for someone in an organization. I think other things are, you know, it's so funny, I think sometimes in leadership we talk about, are you a servant leader or are you adaptive? Do you practice complexity leadership theory? Honestly, it's back to first principles. Do you know the name of your team member's dog? Do you know their birthday? Like, do you care enough to know what they did at the weekend? Do you know that maybe they're going through something right now? So maybe that extra project isn't the right time for them. Do you know that an opportunity came up for a speaking engagement and you know they're really looking for it? And it's those hyper-personalized bespoke treatments as a leader that I think really create belonging and drive loyalty within, within your team members. I don't think... I think sometimes in leadership we make out it's incredibly complex. And I think if we could master the basics, um, it'd be a good first step. As you talk, all these, these stories are flooding in, mm. okay, from my past and from people that, that, that I've led along the way. I had this one guy that said to me, Spence, I hated your guts when I worked for you, but I can't, I can't tell <laughs> you. you guys, every, everything, yeah, yeah, everything you taught me was, was the most defining yeah. information of my life, and I've gone on to use it, and now I'm coming back to say thank you. He goes, I was young, I was stupid, and I didn't know what the right thing was then. He said, but I realize now. So I, I've had that once or twice. But then I've had something really unusual, like... Do you remember the day you lent me that 50 quid? And this is an employee. He goes, I couldn't get home from work so I didn't have enough money. He said, it was my first week on the job and I had no, no money. He said, and you gave me 50 quid to get a cab home. He said, I'll never forget that. He goes, that was so important to mm. me. And you're just like, to me, yeah. it was the kind of guy that he needed yeah. money for a cab. I'm like, give me the kind of money for a cab. About you it, know, yeah. didn't even know, I, I couldn't even tell you the next day that I did it. But mm. for him, so profound, yeah. resonated so much. It's like somebody cares. Mm. And so when you have those, those little pieces of feedback, it, it really makes you stop and think. Mm. about those interactions that you have. Now, you work with people from many different backgrounds mm. and many different cultures. And so if you go back to Ireland where you're from or from the UK where I'm from, we're mm. dealing with something similar from a cultural point yeah. of view. You know, we have 
we have stuff like banter in Ireland and the UK. We do that, don't we, you know? For sure, and yeah. if And if you're talking to your fellow, yeah. or actually the Irish and the Brits, we can have that banter. Usually. Uh, my wife is Armenian, born in Uzbekistan, went to school in Wales, and she does not understand banter. Oh, goodness. And she just, she, she does like you. That's you're, a learning <laughs> intervention. <that's> yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. it's interesting. And and so I, I will sit with somebody like you that I, that's a friend of mine and we will have banter and she'll be like, Wow. Why do you, mm. you can't say that to <laughs> Why would you say you, that was so rude? And I'm like, I'm like, what was rude? She's crying with laughter. And she, and she was saying something like this. And for, in her culture, that, that, that doesn't exist. Mm. Um, now, of course, there's comedy and, 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 and personality and character and all this kind of stuff and satire. But in the same way that we have it, those kind of off the cuff kind yeah. of flippant remarks that are all in jest and fun and lighthearted. Yeah. When you deal with many different cultures, as you do, how do you manage mm. that kind of approach? Because I found it challenging. Mm. It, you know, it is challenging. Um, and a really good, good leader that I work with, he said something to me the other day, which was, if people leadership is not the most difficult thing you're doing every day, you're doing it wrong. And it is. And that working, especially in Dubai, where there's a culture of microcultures, really, is incredibly challenging um, because you want to be respectful of someone's culture, but also you want to integrate those cultures and expose people to diversity of cultures because it aids their, their learning as well. And I think you need to lead with a, with a level of, of humility, um, get to know people, get to understand cultures, get to understand why that mo motivate them. Ask people. I think asking people around the way they work, um, is, is really important as well. I don't think we do that enough up front as, as leaders in terms of, you know, asking people, um, you know, how their experiences have, have impacted them and how, how, how they would like to be, to be worked with. But I see working in uh, the Middle East and especially the GCC region, if you're, if you're interested in people, there can be no better place to work because having people from such diverse backgrounds, you know, the strength of your teams, the strength of your initiatives is really, uh, you know, based upon the diversity of thought and teams. And when you're bringing in people from these diverse backgrounds, you're getting such rich collaboration. It's incredible. So I see it as it's for sure a challenge and it's something I'm still working on and trying to lead with humility and knowing that I don't know everything. Um, but I'm learning a lot from. When you look at when you look at your journey so far and the work that you're most proud of, what is that? Wow. Um, you know, um, I think any time I have helped someone see the potential that they didn't see in themselves, yeah. That to me is um, uh, that to me is uh, uh, that's the work that I'm I'm, I'm meant to do, um, and I have worked with a lot of people that I hope have just even moved them a couple of meters further along in realizing the greatness that 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 lies within them, um, and I know that sounds a little utopian maybe, but um, no, not at all. Yeah, How I. I'm so glad you said that, and I, mm. and I didn't know that was going to be your answer. Yeah, I didn't know it either. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, 
I see the potential in people, mm. okay, so much more than they see. Yeah. And I lo- I'm looking and I'm like, that that person, and Danielle, my business partner, joined me when she was 18, 19 years old. And I, I, I knew immediately, within an hour of knowing her, yeah. I, she had something. And Danielle had, had to be pushed. She didn't have the confidence. I needed to take her places. And she didn't have that confidence. And so mm. it was time for me to turn and focus on that. And... I promoted her. And when I promoted her, she said, oh, I don't want the promotion. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you need the promotion. Mm. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good doing this right now. That's fine. And I'm like, Danny, it's your time. And she took that step. And I'm like, you have to remember, you don't have to know it right now. Okay, mm. take the job yeah. and learn it, yeah? So she did that. She settled in, got that job, got comfortable with it and whatnot. And I'm like, it's time to go again. She was like, "You're kidding me!" <laughs> I just got settled, <laughs> and um, we kept we kept promoting her through. And and her her growth over the years it was because I saw so much potential in her, mm. and getting her to fulfil that potential was really important to me. Yeah. Sometimes I see potential in people, and well, anyway, she's gone on. She's the CEO of the company now, oh and you know, goodness. we've created this great company. All, not all, but 90% of it's her. You know, yeah. I've got two skills. One is a great salesperson. The other skill I've got is that I know how to find good people. Mm. That's the only two skills I've got. Everything else I'm totally all for that. <laughs> but she's, she's good at everything else. Yeah. But when I, when, I, when I look at people's potential, it kind of, it screams at me sometimes. Yeah. And I so want people to see what they're able to be. Yeah. But I don't know how to get them to that place so what advice could you give in that type of scenario yeah that is a it is very challenging I feel like you've asked for advice on the most difficult thing um and I have to admit I find that personally very challenging because I'm someone who likes control order structure but the way that you help people tap into their potential is through giving them autonomy and through giving them the space to fail and through adopting a coaching mindset where instead of saying to people, look, I would do it this way, that you say, okay, how would you do it? And that's what I try to do a lot more of, to not solution for people, but to let them see what's in them, to let them come up with the, with the answer and then reflect it back. Because often in this fast paced environment, we come out with solutions, we come out with answers and then it's the next thing. But I think, remarking upon them, pausing and reflecting and saying, you know, do you know that you've just developed an incredible leadership development program? I have someone on my team at the moment who just developed the most incredible program, but he's already on to the next thing. And uh, that's because he's he's brilliant. But, uh, you know, taking those moments. What's his pause, name? I, <laughs> you have to say his name now. You've given such a godly compliment to him. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to kill me because he's the most <laughs> humble leader, but I'm going to call it out. He's called Tarek. There we go. Tarek, congratulations. He's going <laughs> to kill me. <laughs> so please don't. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, uh, we sometimes just don't take moments to reflect. And, you know, when you think about it, has anyone ever complained or have you, any, have you ever seen any output in an employee pulse check that says, I was recognized too often by my boss? It just doesn't happen. And I think we need to realize that sometimes in our heads, we're thinking he did a really good job. But are you saying it enough? Are you saying to people like that was really well done? Like you really come up with that by yourself because that's a confidence instiller in in someone. And if you really- Oh man, that's so important. Mm. 
and I, this is something I'm criticised of. <laughs> so the fact that you're saying it, it's just like mm. banging on my head. It's like, how often do you say... Is it, there's, to me, there's this whole thing, though, and this is a, a Spencer problem, so please don't make it anything <laughs> else. Okay, this, this, this definition of um, saying well done mm. sincerely yeah. or saying well done for the sake of saying yeah. well done. And to me, it's like a well done is deserved when a well done is achieved. Mm. And kind of a bit old fashioned in that, so don't, don't, <laughs> don't criticize me. But you're right, you know, it, like everyone that's ever said well done to me, it's never done me any harm. Yeah. You know, it's always made me feel better. Mm. Sophia says to me, when you come to work and you're in a great mood and you're full of support for everybody <laughs> and you're wonderful, and you're, she, goes, she, goes, I, she goes, I'm 25% better that week wow. just on the back of that. I'm like, don't tell me that. Yeah. I want to say grumpy for another hour. <laughs> I can't imagine you grumpy. But it's true, as a leader, you have an outsized impact. Mm. And your mood and your energy, it impacts those around you. So you better be pretty um, careful with it. You know? Well, then, well, that, then that's a good question then. So how do you regulate your mood? I mean, because you're facing you doing your job and I doing mine. We're faced with challenges. Mm. Okay. And, you know, and, and it may not be work related. It could be personal stuff that's going on that comes, you know, sideswipes you without you knowing it. How do you stay in that kind of like, I'm being the best person for my team type of mm-hmm. space? It's not easy. If, if you're serious about leadership, that kind of stuff is is, is not easy. Um, I have um, changed meeting times, pulled myself out of things where I'm like, I am not in the right headspace to go into this and inspire my team. I If I can't drain the emotion, out of myself before I go into something, I won't go into it. Because the damage that you can do can be irreparable. And I think you have to give yourself that space. Um, I think I also ask for feedback a lot as well. And I think asking for feedback is very, very important. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you want it. <laughs> yeah, well, you, do you know what? You've got to start craving it. Yeah. Um, because, um, when someone says to you, can I give you feedback? It's a bit like a bit like the, the cortisol equivalent of hearing footsteps in the dark. You, It's a bit like, what have I done? And I think if we turn the tables and start asking for it, it deregulates the, the threat mechanism a bit. And I regularly have to say to people, like, how did I show up in that meeting? Was I a little terse? Um, was I a bit emotive in there? And realizing I have good people around me that I trust. And when they say, Maybe. Then I think, okay, I'm not going into that situation like that again. That's really, really interesting mm. to have the courage to ask that question. Oh, it's very hard. And half that. the time I don't want the answer, <laughs> but you have to have humility. Mm. As, as you know, my eldest has started working here in Dubai and, mm. I, and I'm and I'm essentially I've given her a blueprint to follow. And I'm like, yeah. this is what you're going to do for 90 days. Follow this plan. Mm. And, I, and I'll guide you. And she says, Dad, you know best. I'll listen to everything you say. Oh. Okay, which was great. The end of the first week, we were talking, and she's like, "You've got a really, really funny way of putting things across." <laughs> and I, very much, it's my daughter, so it's, it's not something I work with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "What do you mean?" She says, "You could say things nicer." Interesting. And I'm like, "Well, what do you mean by that?" She said, "Look, whatever you're telling me, I'm taking out of what you're telling me, and I'm doing what you're asking me to do. So, 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 so I can I can see past the, you mm. know, you're my dad, uh, the personality flaws that you have, dad, <laughs> <laughs> and I can take the value from the conversation." She's not scared of giving the feedback. She, no, she's not. She's not. But she says, "You sometimes you're telling me more aggressively. You know, it's almost like you're frustrated." 
and I feel your frustration yeah. and I'm learning at the moment. And she goes, I'm already frustrated myself. I don't need your frustration as well. Mm. And when she told me that, I sat there and uh, my wife said to me, yeah, take that. <laughs> Listen to that, eh? <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> Thank you also but, for the feedback. Yeah, but then, then I was talking to Danielle about it. And, and I said, because Danielle said, Spence, you can take 100 people that, that you train, she says, and you'll turn five of them into superstars, like mm. superstars. She goes, but you'll frighten 20 of them off mm. because you're so direct with your approach. She goes, she goes the, the people that want to be superstars, you are the perfect person mm. to, work, to work with. The people that have uh, really low levels of self-esteem, really low levels of confidence, sometimes you're, you're too much for them. You're too intense for them. And she said on the flip side, she goes, I'm too soft on them. Mm. You know, she says, I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I become the mother. Mm. Okay. Which is an interesting dynamic. Yeah. But it really made me think about then my style. It made mm. me stop and think, you know, how do I, how do I talk to people? Okay. And Sophia's in the background there listening <laughs> to everything I'm saying. So very differently, <laughs> dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, how, how do I talk to people and how can I talk to people differently? And, 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 and the fact that you, you go into a meeting and, you know, was I terse? Was, you know, can I get some honest feedback on there from people that you trust is it may, it, it gave me shivers, as you said, it, it made me fearful, but, if I if I had the courage, okay, if I was open enough to go and ask for that feedback and I was able to get honest feedback, like my daughter gave me, mm. then what harm can it do? It can only help. Yeah. When we talk about learning and development, I honestly think feedback is the killer app for learning. I have never learned more than I have from people I trust around me, giving me their perspectives. Um. And it takes a while sometimes when you first have a working relationship with someone, they're like, well, can I really tell her that she wasn't great in that situation? But once you say like, you know, thank you, and you respect it, and you're not defensive around it, and you start to get more and more, that's where I'm, that's where I'm learning the most at the moment, from people around me that are courageous enough to tell me where I can get better. So globally, you have how many employees? 46,000. And how many nationalities? Well, I mean, I, I couldn't. All of them. You, under, all of them, yeah. Find me one we don't have. Mm. And when you look at other companies that are that are that are of that kind of size, do you think they take learning and development as seriously as they should? Mm. Yeah, I do. You do? Yeah, I do. And I think for so many reasons, because they hire well and they hire good people that are committed to the growth and development of their people. Um, and that pay leadership forward. And that realize being a leader and being a learner is not about what you're consuming. It's not about being in charge. It's about serving those in your charge. Hmm. And I feel very confident about that. And then when you when you look at your business, you said something earlier which resonates with me. Some companies see you, what you do as a cost. Mm. Okay, and I find that really fascinating because if, if there are leaders in business that see that as a cost, they really don't understand the benefits mm. that go with it. Yeah, because it, it it doesn't take rocket science to work out that if what you do is done really and executed really effectively, 
the shareholders care about the numbers. They care about the, the top line and the bottom line, really, don't they? That's mm. what shareholders are generally focused on more than anything else. And if the board has to report into the shareholders, mm. then the board then are focused on how they're going to get the best out of the business. And if there's a great learning and development commitment and d- division within the business, then that just adds to the benefit of the mm. business. And it's not only about how much profit you make, it's about having a group of people in your company, whether it's 50 people or 5,000 mm. people, okay, that all want to be there care about the company they work for, care about mm. the mission the business is on, yeah. okay, and, and and know that they belong there. Yeah. And it's almost like it's us against the rest of the world type of psychology, isn't it? It's like we're together, we're a team, okay, and well, you know, it's not against the rest of the world. We're here because we belong here and we know where we're going. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and there's two sides to this story, I think, in that uh, I think as a learning and development community, we have been struggling with the quagmire for years of how do you put ROI on learning? And I think probably we could have done a little bit better in shaping up exactly how do you measure the impact of learning on individuals? Mm. And I don't think we're articulating it well enough. And I'm so interested now in companies that are out there that are doing it in really scientific ways. Um, I've been talking to, there's a company called um, Immersion Neuro out in Silicon Valley that measure hormonal levels of insight. And then you have a scientific measure of how much people are learning. We know, if you've been in learning long enough, you know it's so tightly tied to retention, employee experience, productivity. But how do you put a hard number on it? That's a big, big challenge. And people, when they look at business models, cost, investment, balance sheets, they want hard numbers. So there's a little bit of chicken and egg in that situation. I think the L&D community needs to get better, but there needs to be an understanding as well. You can't isolate the learning variable. And it's those progressive companies that can really understand um, that it's an investment that are really thriving, I think, at the moment. And there's little things you can do about that. You know, Have stay interviews instead of exit interviews. Ask people why they stay at a company. And when I did that, I've done that in one company in Silicon Valley, learning and development was in pretty much 95% of the um, the interview data. Stay interviews. Mm-hmm. Sounds so obvious when yeah. you say it, doesn't it? But why would you ask them on why they leave? Ask them why, because it's too late. Yeah. They're gone, you know? And it's okay, it's useful data for sure. But ask them why they're staying and try and replicate that. Joe, I could sit and talk to you all afternoon mm. about this. It's fantastic talking about this subject yeah. with you. I better stop it now because we've gone <laughs> we've gone we've gone past an hour already. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to join us on the show today, sharing us with your expertise and your insights and your thoughts. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, thank you. The pleasure's been all mine, and I appreciate being here. Mm. <laughs>